Hear that? It's the call of the Crave. And when the Crave calls, you know what to do. Try the $5 Bacon Bundle, because the only thing better than a White Castle slider is a White Castle slider topped with crispy hickory smoked bacon. So pick any two of either the Bacon Cheese Slider, 1921 Bacon Cheese Slider, or Chicken Bacon Ranch Slider, and also get a small fry for just $5 with the $5 Bacon Bundle. White Castle. Follow your Crave. That don't impress me much. For music icon Shania Twain, songs like That Don't Impress Me Much, You're Still the One, and Man, I Feel Like a Woman, catapulted her into musical icon status. She became the top-selling female country music artist in history with decade after decade of smash hits. But behind the music is the ultimate story of survival. You name it, Shania has overcome it. Poverty, the loss of her parents, and a very difficult and painful public divorce. But throughout the tough times, music was Shania's refuge. To cope, she sang. But then, the unthinkable. After a battle with Lyme disease, Shania came close to losing the very thing that kept her alive, her voice. The Shania you'll meet today has experienced a rebirth, more confident, more at peace, and with more agency in her own life. This Shania is free. And with new music and an upcoming tour, Shania is, as she sings, queen of me. The Shania who sits across from me today is open, honest, and unapologetic. I'm Hoda Kotby. Welcome to my podcast, Making Space. So, here we sit. You are in a beautiful chapter in your life. I feel like you're comfy in your own skin. How do you feel at this age, this stage, where you are right now? I'm feeling quite liberated (laughs) in so many ways. I'm feeling positive and optimistic, but still at the same time very unapologetic. Mm, That's a good word. You know what I mean? I I don't feel like I need to explain myself as much as probably ever in my life. Mm -hmm. But I feel very responsible still. You know, like the the Queen of Me title for the new album is, it couldn't be more fitting for where I'm really at in my own mind. Um, I'm responsible for myself. I take the good with the bad. Mm -hmm. I know I've got faults. I know I'll never be perfect. And I'll keep striving to be better, but I'm mostly enjoying the, the search, yeah. and enjoying the evolution. There's that saying, if you're not learning, you're dying. If you're not growing, you're dying. And I feel like through all these chapters in your life, you're always evolving. Because some people are, are very similar, I feel like, year to year to year. But I don't feel like that's you at all. I feel like I'm an explorer at heart, you know? I like to explore things I've never done, mostly things I've never thought of. Mm. This is where songwriting is so great because it's it's a creative platform to 
let my imagination run wild. There's no wrong. You turn when you want to turn, you go up when yeah. you want to go up, you go down. So that's always been a very liberated space for me anyway. But I think more in my real life, I'm letting go of inhibition a lot more. Wow. People say write what you know. I mean, and you've lived a life. If someone were just to see this album and see your life, they would say, wow, her life was rose-colored glasses and she went through that way. This is a moment in your life where you are seeing the joy. I'm celebrating the joy. Yeah, yeah. Really. Um, I've always seen the good in things. I've always been, been an optimistic person. But I'm appreciating, you know, surviving COVID. I had a bad bout with it. I'm appreciating um, being able to sing again after this you know, very difficult operation on my throat. Mm -hmm. I'm just grateful for so many things. Mm -hmm. I have a great son. I have a happy marriage. I'm, I'm healthy. My focus is more about well-being than it's mm -hmm. ever been before. Mm -hmm. So in that sense, I'm, I'm just concerned less about the small things. I love you it. Know? There's a small list of really, really yeah. essential things yeah. in yeah. order to be happy. Yes, yes. It's a small list. What, are the, really. what do you need to be happy? You know, you need health. Health. You got that. Yes. Yeah. You got health. I need freedom. Mm. Freedom meaning, I mean, anything creative gives me freedom. Yeah. yeah. I could live in a box and still find that freedom. Wow, that's good. I really could. I can escape with my mind. Yeah, yeah. And I'm exploring that more than I've ever, ever done before. Mm -hmm. I'm writing things that are more, more explorative, more, more, I'm more frank than I've ever been. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing to you be. Yeah, with my lyrics. Um, the songs are fun. They're bouncy. Giddy Up is a blast. There is a song where in the video you decide that you have, you've had enough with clothes. You are going to be 100% you. Yeah. I mean, this is terrifying at any age. Yeah. Um, at our age, it's maybe a little extra. But how was that experience for you? And what did you learn about yourself, your body, and what you, how you felt inside? Well, it was, I actually, I did a photo shoot in the nude. Mm -hmm. and in the nude. In the nude. And first time you've ever done First that? time. Are you kidding? Oh, my gosh. No, that was, that was a real leap of faith in my own courage. Yeah. Really. Yeah. Because it was just, okay, how much courage do you really have? Right. Listen, when I stand in front of the mirror, I don't like to stand in front of the mirror. You don't? No. Or, or only at certain angles. Or if I, if I look at myself from hand to toe in the mirror, I see my faults. Yeah. I don't like the lights on when I'm, you know, when I'm going to bed, if I'm naked. I yeah. want the lights down. And I'm just tired of that lack of freedom. Mm. I want to be more relaxed and comfortable in my own skin. Mm. It is what it is. And I can't change it unless I go under the knife or something. Right. I mean, you don't really know what you're going to get anyway. Yeah. <laughs> right? What? <laughs> So one thing pulled here and another one pulled there. I don't know. I may yeah. never be happy. Yeah. So it's the, it's my perception of things that yes. has to change. It's the way I see things that has to change instead of changing who I am and what I look like. So when you're naked, now you're relying entirely on your own love of yourself mm. and respect for yourself. So there's two different things. I can feel beautiful when I'm dressed up. And I feel beautiful when I'm naked, too. And I, there's no way I would have said that before I took this leap of do a naked photo shoot. 
I don't even know where I got the courage to do it. I think I just got fed up of judging myself. It's not funny how we do that. Just fed up with it, yeah. you know? Why am I doing this? Right. And, and, and enjoy what, yeah, because, you know, I'm only going to get more saggy, mm-hmm. right? <laughs> it's also one of those things like, well, I better enjoy this moment right now. Because I know I don't look like I did when I was 20. Right. When we were worried about it then, no matter what stage we were in, we were like, oh, God, i got to fix this. Oh, this is not right. Never good enough for never ourselves. Never good enough. It's we're enough. Never, yeah, we're never good enough for ourselves. I mean, you have one body to carry you through to the end. That's it. That's all we get. Like, ride in your—this is what you're riding in. That's it. It's like, forget the sag. Yes. When you have pain. Yeah. And you have to go under the knife yeah. for an operation yeah. because it's necessary. Yes. Or, and, and, and you're going to have pain. You're going to have recovery. I think, wow. I think I'll just—I'm good. Yeah. I, you know? Yeah. Plastic surgery is one of those tricky things that, yeah, you, know, you don't know what's going to happen. Would you ever do it? No. No. I've, I've come to a point where, no, I'm not going to do it because I just feel—and maybe that was probably part of what pushed me to go, okay, it's time to start loving yourself in yeah. your own— yeah. Skin, because sure, I've got lots of friends that um, have had very successful surgeries, but I've also seen others that aren't so successful. Yeah. And then I think, well, what if I'm one of those that doesn't mm-hmm. heal very well? Then I'm going to hate that right. about myself. And right. then I'm going to regret yes. doing it. Yes. Yes. And, it's just, and then, then maybe I'm going to fall and cut myself and yeah. I'm going to need stitches. For and real. Then, yeah. For real. Yeah. Yeah. Up next, surviving the unimaginable. I got good at telling stories. I got good at escaping. I got good at creating imaginary tales and stories. And I ran away in my mind. How Shania made it through. Stay with us. Every parent is a busy parent. There's enough on your plate without piling on your kids' homework. And considering how much teaching methods have changed, most of us are a little rusty anyway. Consider IXL, an excellent resource for homework that can make a huge impact on your child's ability to learn. Backed by research, kids using IXL are actually scoring higher on their tests. Our techniques help them master topics in a fun way, complete with positive feedback. We're seeing improvements all across the country as IXL is used in 95 of the top 100 school districts in the U.S., And IXL is also very affordable. One month of IXL costs less than the typical hour of tutoring. On just one website, IXL covers all the kids in your home from pre-K to 12th grade. Sign up today to get 20% off your membership at IXL.com slash H-O-D-A. That's IXL.com slash H-O-D-A. So let's talk about um, your just just how you grew up. Did you know that your childhood upbringing was different? Was difficult? Um, you didn't have often enough money for food to keep the lights on for heating. These are basic essentials that a child needs to start the day. Did you know what you were living in at the time? I certainly did from the moment I started going to school. So, you know, we start going to school in fall. Right away in the fall, in the autumn in Canada, it's cold. You need winter clothing. 
Um, I would go through a whole winter with rubber boots. Mm. This is, it's dangerous. Mm -hmm. You know, your feet can freeze. You can't go out for recess with rubber boots. So I'd have to make up excuses to stay in for recess. You know, if you don't have the right winter boots, your feet get wet. That's another way to get very bad frostbite. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I would wear plastic bags on my feet and then get in my boots. So it was really clear early on that we weren't like the other kids, that we weren't dressing like we needed to. We weren't eating like we needed to. Just H- the how kids, do you mean? All the other kids came to school with lunches, like nice lunches, you know. Even if it wasn't elaborate, even if it was just a sandwich and an apple and a drink. Mm-hmm. Um, there'd be days when we would have nothing. And I, was, I, would, I would always sit there going, oh my gosh, is, is she not gonna eat her apple? Like if she would just give me that apple, I would do anything for that apple, you know. And I didn't ever want to ask because then suspicion starts rising, you know. Why don't you Absolutely. have your own lunch? And and when my teacher would ask that, I would say, oh, I forgot it, or oh, I'm not, you know, I'm not hungry. It's in my locker, or and you learn. Um, very quickly that you are not within the norm. Was it shame? What was it? Uh, Yes, part of it was shame, uh, and also a lot of it was to stay under the radar. Why? This is very important for kids that are uh, neglected or abused because then you've got social services stepping in the door and, you know, taking the kids away or getting your parents in trouble. So you were afraid of getting them in trouble. Afraid of getting them in trouble and and afraid of being separated, you know, from my other siblings. And there's nothing more terrifying than that. No matter how bad it is, um, you don't really realize when you're a child. By the time I was 13, I realized, wow, what are we still doing here after all these years? We need help. We got to do something about this. But when you're really, really young and you're entirely dependent the last thing you want is for your family to be separated and torn apart. I can't imagine carrying that burden as a kid. Do you know what I mean? Like, yeah. I can't ask for help because if I ask for help, then I'm going to get my mom and dad in trouble. So therefore, I will live this way. And it'll be my fault. And it'll be your fault if something right. goes wrong. Yes, if I say something, it'll be my fault. If my parents get in trouble, it'll be my fault that my that the kids are separated. It'll be my fault. And did your parents bring that up to you, or how did you know that? Oh, my parents made it very clear. You know, there are certain periods, so we would go in and out of more difficult periods. So, for example, in the winter, when we couldn't afford the gas or the oil bill, depending on where we were living, then we wouldn't have heat. So they would say, "Don't bring any friends home." You know, don't tell anyone uh, we don't have any heat. Wow. And then during those times, we couldn't take a shower or wash our hair because we didn't have any heat. So, you know, I would go to school with greasy hair. And it was just, it was always this, it was one thing or another. There was always not enough food in the house. So, yeah, again, don't bring any friends over because we don't have anything to feed anyone. It's a burden. It's too much for a child to have to cope with the lack of necessities. Mm. But then to also keep it a secret when you're going out there every day into this normalcy, into what you know is normal. Yeah, you're like, why, why don't we have that? I mean, it seems so basic. So your escape uh, was what ended up being your talent and which, is, which brings you here today. 
which is your singing. So was that how you escaped what, what seems like a very unsettling childhood? Did you just hide away and write or sing, or what did you do? Hiding away is a very good way to start this, mm-hmm. <laughs> this off because a lot of times I was hiding away from violence in our house, you know, when things got really tough financially. I mean, there were always tough financially. That was always tough, but it affected us in sometimes more difficult ways than others. Easiest thing for me to do was uh, mind over matter. Distract myself. Do something else so you forget that you're hungry. I would definitely take my guitar, and I would go out to the bush normally. I would go out. We, we always lived somewhere remote, and there was always, uh, the bush was always very close by, so I could walk five, ten minutes, light a fire, and Play your guitar. Write, write stories. You did. Write songs. And that was, that was the greatest escape. And... I got good at telling stories. I got good at escaping. I got good at creating imaginary mm-hmm. tales and stories. Mm-hmm. And I ran away in my mind. I ah. always came back to the house, but I ran you away would, in my would mind. Would you have run away if not for your siblings? At a certain age, I would have run away if it weren't for my siblings. Absolutely. I stayed silent and I stayed, period, because they... They were vulnerable. And when my parents got violent, it was really bad. But it was your mom who recognized in you that you had a talent. And she wanted, she wanted you to, to experience that talent and live up to it. Was her ultimate goal like, let me get Shania out of this? Or did she want you to sing just because she knew you would be talented and she thought this would be a good fit? My mother did definitely believe that I was talented. She was very deeply convinced that I was talented mm-hmm. beyond the norm. And she also realized that this could be our break, our... Yes. This could break the cycle of our lives. And I felt the pressure of that, too, because yeah. I didn't want to be on stage. I hated it. I was petrified to sing in front of other people. Wow. I was great escaping off to the forest or in a closet somewhere just by myself and singing and writing. Um, It was my own special place to go to in my mind. And it wasn't meant to be, I wasn't meant to be a performer. Wow. But she realized that the only way that I could succeed was to be on the stage doing it. So that was always a struggle. So she she took you to bars and you sang and you sang in the middle of the night. She took a risk by taking you out there in the night, um, a risk not just from your father and the abuse, but just, you know, what's this doing to my child? But yet somehow, weirdly, that ended up kind of helping you in your career. Is that fair? It's very fair to say that it helped me in my career. There were no children performing in bars at that time. Kids are not allowed to be in a liquor premises. So this is why I had to go in after midnight. So you went after, they stopped serving booze. Then you could go sing. Then legally, technically, she convinced them that I could go in there. Then Now everyone's drunk by then. This is right. the irony of it, right? right. Every, everyone's already drunk by midnight. And they've loaded up their tables with last call drinks. So they're there for another two, three hours. Right. So this is now my audience. I mean, my mother, of course, she would have known that I was going to have trouble those, all those times getting up for school the next morning, and I had a huge responsibility in the mornings. I was ironing my dad's shirt and his pants, getting ready for work. I was getting the kids out of bed. I had to wake him up at 6 o'clock. I was, I was responsible for the alarm clock and getting everybody breakfast, the kids on the bus. It was— You? Yes. It was a whole routine. 
So it was all of that, too. And so a lot of times I missed school. I was just too exhausted or I missed my bus. I just didn't make it in time. Yeah. Did your dad think you were talented? My dad very much believed in my talent. Yeah. He loved my voice. You know, his idea of me being a singer was to get up and sing for family and friends. He was the much more reasonable one in that sense. Yeah. So as you're growing and your your voice is improving and you've got all this stuff going and you're, I think you're 22 years old and there are days that you don't forget in your life and this was, I'm sure, one of yours. How did you learn that both of your parents had died in, a, in an accident? I was in Toronto uh, working. I was working on my backup plan mm-hmm. in case I didn't make it as a singer. So I'm at a computer programming school and I'm gigging, you know, I'm, I'm gigging in bands at night. Yeah. So that was okay. I wasn't quitting music yet, but I was Trying making sure that you know, by the time I got 25 that I had a backup plan. And I'm at the school and my sister had called me and told me that they died in a car accident. And I mean, I just, um, you know, I fell apart totally just into shock for days. And I just couldn't let go of them. What did you lose the day they died? I lost a foundation. I lost a very important foundation. As rickety as it was, it was still a foundation. It was still a foundation that I associated with. My whole life history was there uh, with them. Mm -hmm. And many of the associations fell along the way, away after my parents died. It was so true that so much of my life was stemming from them being in my life, Mm -hmm. the good and the bad. Well, then you had to be a mom to your siblings. How many siblings do you have? Four siblings, but three minors. Three minors. So that was difficult. So you were becoming mom again at 22. So you had your dreams or however you were trying to cobble your life out. You're like, now I'm back and now I'm taking care of the kids. My siblings. The kids. That's what you called them. The kids. How much older? My are? kids. I yeah. call them out often. I know they're not mine, but I just do say that. But my older sister was married and she mm-hmm. had um, two children. She was very, very busy, you mm-hmm. know, with her life. And my younger sister was still living at home. And my two younger brothers were still, you know, 13 and 14 years old. Wow. And we all agreed that they shouldn't be separated. But no relatives were able to take both of them in. So the only way to keep them together was for us to stay together. So you did that too? So I did that. And I became, you know, I mean, I was already very much a mother figure in our house anyway. My mother was depressed a lot of our lives, you know, didn't get out of bed for days many times. You know, that's why I was up ironing my dad's shirt and Mm -hmm. his pants, getting everybody ready for school in the mornings. And getting home from school after the whole mess of the morning, I had to hurry up and rush around and clean it all up before he got home so that he didn't then throw a drag fit. her out of bed by her hair. Yeah. I mean, this was the, the cycle. Okay, so you emerge and you sign a deal, you're in Nashville, and your career just starts to roll on. I've heard a lot of where you've came from stories from different artists. I don't think I've ever heard one like yours. And the way you speak about it is honestly and very matter-of-factly, and I know that there's a lot behind it. But now when I watch what happened to your career, it kind of makes, it all makes sense. It's like, of course you fought through. Of course this was something you could do. Um, 
Do you think once your career started rolling, did it feel like a puzzle piece that fit? Like you were now riding a wave instead of swimming upstream? I definitely lacked motivation to be a performer, to be in the spotlight. Mm -hmm. That was always going to work against me. Uh, the drive was out of desperation. The drive was not mm -hmm. ambition. There's a, a, a big differentiation, but I don't know many stars, you know, that get to this point that didn't have a genuine ambition. Hmm. My honest ambition, if I could have been Stevie Wonder's backup singer, that would have been my dream come true. <laughs> so my dreams were different from where I ended up. I yeah. ended up being this big performer. Mm -hmm. And nothing that I would ever have been able to imagine. But my, my desperation was so strong. I knew there was nothing to go back to, especially after my parents died. Mm -hmm. And there were no other options for me in life now that I had not gone to college. Because when my parents died, it was now for a few years mm -hmm. in a pause. In yeah, a, of course. I don't know what I'm doing. I've got to wait. I'm stalled now. So by the time I did make it to Nashville, I was fearless. Yeah. You were not able to intimidate me. You can say anything you want. It's okay. Yeah. I'm, I'm all right. There's no way to discourage me now from getting somewhere with this. Mm. And that was a determination that was built from sheer desperation. And many, many, many years, I started very young. It's not like I just got to Nashville. Yeah, of course. In my late 20s, and yeah. all of a sudden, right. I had this great plan. Right. I've never heard it described as ambition versus desperation. That's a whole different animal right there. Did you ever then love performing on stage? Did it ever, when did it switch or did it? It took me a really, really long mm -hmm. time. I started really enjoying being on stage when I started getting my voice back again. Mm -hmm. So that would have been much later in my life. Mm -hmm. I didn't love being on stage. I was loving the people. Mm -hmm. But I couldn't see beyond my responsibility to the people. Mm, I see. Maybe I was just allowing my stage fright to, to create so much angst that I couldn't, because I was doing something against my will almost, against my comfort zone. Right. So this is why with the naked thing, taking this photograph yeah. naked, I'm like pushing myself <laughs> yes. through this. I am, I'm uncomfortable with it, so I'm going to do it. It's like I'm going to do it till I get comfortable with I, it. I love it. That's actually a good lesson, because some people think if it feels like it's against your nature, then stop. But you've, you kept pushing through, because usually there's this fight or flight. I was only hurting myself. Yeah. You see, I was, I was the yeah. only one missing out. I would say the same thing. If it doesn't feel right, stop, because it's probably hurting someone else. Yeah. It's probably not right. There's something wrong with yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. But if you're missing out on something because of fear, and you're letting fear, fear get in your way, you yeah. are the only one you're hurting. Yeah. I should have been enjoying all of those years of performance. I should have been indulging in all of that exchange with the audience mm -hmm. instead of resisting it. And all of these years, I should have been enjoying myself and my own skin instead of wishing I was different. Well, what's so fun now is watching you enjoy yourself in your own skin. 
first of all, when Harry Styles and you were up on stage, I was like, there's this magic. And I was watching that moment and I was like, yes, there was something about that. And to watch Taylor Swift on bended knee, you know, you have all of the people who are, who will be icons in the future, who are now, you know, incredible pop stars are looking at you on this huge pedestal. What, what is that like? The mutual respect. Mutual, yeah. It's everything. Mm. Because we, me and these kids that are <laughs> icons in their own right are the same kids that were my fans when they were four and five and six. I'm being reintroduced to them as adults now. This reunion mm. of admiration, it's incredible. You know, I used to make lines at my concerts just for the kids because there wasn't room, there wasn't security to have the parents and the kids mm -hmm. come to the stage so that I could say hi to them. They would bring me flowers and things. They just wanted to shake hands. So the kids had to go with the security without the parents. Oh, wow. It was the only way to wow. physically do it. So... Those kids that I hugged and shook hands with and accepted gifts from are these same kids that are now back at my shows in their 20s and 30s. Uh, it's remarkable. How cool is that? It's really, really remarkable. I have a whole new appreciation for my audience, and it, I've learned a lot of lessons. Coming up, how Shania faced a really pivotal moment in her career. There's always a way to get pleasure out of the things you love, even if you can't do them the same way. More with Shania when we come back. Go spread the word. When you get a fresh, hot McCrispie from McDonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag, don't try to wait till you get home. Always respect hot chicken. The McCrispie, only at McDonald's. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. At the UPS Store, we know things can get busy this upcoming holiday. You can count on us to be open and ready to help with any packing and shipping or anything else you might need. Is there anything you can't do? Um, actually, I don't have a good singing voice. <clears throat> the UPS... Nope. But our certified packing experts can pack and ship just about anything. At least that's good. The UPS Store. Be unstoppable. Most locations are independently owned. Product services, pricing, and hours of operation may vary. See center for details. Come in today to get your holiday goodies there on time. I feel like your life has had so many highs and so many difficult times and you keep rolling, like you just keep rolling. So I felt like if someone had your childhood, then after that, everything should just be easy because life should never be filled with more downs after surviving what you survived. Yet, like a lot of people in this world, there are marriages that don't work and then there's a recovery from that. How did you ever come back from that? How did you rebuild just the trust or your own belief in yourself? Like, is, you know, am I choosing right? I am somebody who tends to live in the future. Mm. I play my own if game. Mm. If this ever happened to me, what would I do? And it's almost like I'm always preparing myself for something bad to happen, but I don't live in mm. anxiety about it, but I do keep the glass half full. So when I lost my voice, for example, from Lyme disease, I'm thinking, okay, well, 
if I never am able to sing again with pleasure and for other people's pleasure, I'm going to write songs that other people sing for me. Uh, there's always a way to get pleasure out of the things you love, even if you can't do them the same way. Even now, I can't sing the same way. I, I sing differently. But I'm celebrating the fact that I can still sing, period, because I've been told by the doctors that just the physiology and the, the, the procedure that I had done may not last forever. So I either may have to have that operation again, which was very painful, and probably the most painful thing was not being able to speak for three weeks because <laughs> I can be quite chatty. Um, no, it, it was very painful, but so would I do it again? I don't know. Would I do it again so I, I can carry on singing? I don't know. I don't... A lot of I don't knows, but I know that I will find another way or a way to get satisfaction out of music and pleasure out of music. So this is the way I am about everything in life, you know, if I, even in the, on the most basic level, just, you know, when life throws you lemons, make lemonade. And I really believe that. Do you rely on people? I mean, do you allow yourself to? Because once you've been let down, sometimes it's like... You know what? I'm driving this bus now. Everyone can jump on if they want, but this is this is the way I'm going to do it. I'm the boss of me. Mm -hmm. I am not the boss of anybody else. And I cannot control how other people treat me, what they do to me, or what is in my destiny. I don't know. Mm -hmm. I don't know what the plan is. I don't know what God has planned for me. And I don't ask him to plan anything else than he's already got planned for me. I'm fine with that. I accept that whatever the plan is, is what it is. But I do expect myself to manage whatever it is that comes my way. And I hold myself to that. I, I really think that we have to do that. We have to carry on. We can't give up. We can't quit. So I'm definitely not a quitter. I will find a way. I will find a solution. Maybe that's just the creative side of me, but there is no way that I, I will never stop until I find a way mm -hmm. to get through something or to get to the other side of it. You are a great mother to Asia, who's 20. I hope he thinks so. One. Who taught you how to be a mother? Well, my mother was actually a really great mother. As dysfunctional as I saw her become, she was still very loving. She always told me that she loved me. The things my mother did for us, always finding whatever was left in the kitchen, always making that work. Mm -hmm. You know, one of the things that kept our bellies full was a thing called, we called goulash. And it was just dry, crusty bread. You just cut the mold away. You just got to make it happen. Milk, boil the milk, and brown sugar. And in Canada, there's lots of brown sugar, lots of maple syrup. So, okay, we would have goulash for breakfast, lunch, and supper sometimes for days. And my mother always made that seem like, listen, you know, it's okay. We're, we're, we're going to make it through. Mm. Uh, my dad was the same way. You know, they were both very optimistic about surviving. And, you know, that it had to be a lot worse to not be able to make it. And so I believed in that. I, I, I think they were both really good parents in that way. There's a lot of things that I valued greatly in both my parents that I do with my own 
son yeah. show interest in his music. They showed great interest in my sure. music. They really did, both What's, of them. What is Asia like to play? What kind of music? He likes to play a variety of music. And he likes to listen to a variety of music. He, right now, is in a very analog phase, which is cool. Does he ask your advice, or does he do his own thing? He does his own thing. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, you know, his dad and I will text back and forth, you know, just, you know, I'll just say I'm in the studio with Asia right now, and he's doing this or whatever. And, um, and his dad might say, uh, yeah, you know, he doesn't really like to take much of my advice. And I'm like, yeah, me either. I'm like in there just observing yeah. him more than anything. He just, he's very independent. You talked about your, you have a beautiful, happy marriage. What makes it work? Ooh, uh, communication. He's better at it than I am. Yeah. Uh, I'm definitely the person that would just rather go and play my guitar yeah. and get work through my yeah. my emotions Emotion. that way. But he's very good about communicating. So he's always the one, you know, let's talk about this. And mm-hmm. um, so communication, it doesn't hurt that he's, you know, drop-dead gorgeous and <laughs> sexy and that, you know. So the attraction remains. I think that's very important. Yeah, you know, you need course. to be uh, in love with each other in the first mm-hmm. place. Um but marriage is friggin' hard, yeah. you know, it, because we go through so many different phases um, as individuals and then how to work through those individual changes and be uh, respectful and empathetic to mm-hmm. each other as we're going through our own stuff. You talked about this being the year of you, you call it selfishness, but really it isn't. It's like you're making space for things that you need. Yeah. What are you making space for in this moment? Wellness. Yeah. I do not take good enough care of myself, and I need to do that more. Right. When I have to be disciplined for work, I take better care of myself. I want to take better care of myself when I'm not on a busy schedule. Mm -hmm. Stuff like that. So you make space for wellness. What about, like, the spiritual part of you or the soulful part of you? How do you work on that? That's a daily thing. I meditate all the time. I have a, um, I'm always uh, meditating, especially if I'm in a waiting mm-hmm. room or I'm sitting around doing nothing. I would rather sit quiet than even chat with mm-hmm. with a stranger or something. I'll just sit and meditate on things. Um, I'm a very reflective person. All right, I like it. Shania, thank you. Thank, thank you, you thank you, thank you. Hey guys, thank you so much for listening and for going on this journey with me. If you like what you heard, and I sure hope you do, please give Making Space a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends and follow us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or wherever you're listening right now. This episode of Making Space is produced by Allison Berger, Ursula Summer, and associate producer Rachel Yong, with additional help from today producer Yael Federbush. Our associate audio engineer is Juliana Mastrorelli. Our audio engineers are Tarek Fuda and Bob Mallory. Original music by John Estes. Bryson Barnes is our technical director. Mina Kathuria is our executive producer. And the executive vice president of today is Libby Leakst. spread the word when you get a fresh hot mccrispy from mcdonald's and you can feel the heat coming through the bag don't try to wait till you get home always respect hot chicken the mccrispy only at mcdonald's ba-da-ba-ba-ba